Oh, let's stay standing for a moment. Can we lift our hands to heaven and just take a moment to love on him? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. We love that you're moving in a fresh way across the face of the earth. Move here too, Lord. Move here too, Lord. We're hungry for you. Other things have left us dry. Other things have left us wanting. No one causes satisfaction like you do, Jesus. Lord, we worship you today. We turn our eyes to you. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for that fresh bread that you bring. And I just pray over this house today, would you do something new, Lord? Would you do the next thing, the now thing, we pray. Amen. You can grab your chairs. It's a joy to be with you. <clears throat> Always a privilege to be ministering here. The last time I was here, you, you were the door, and, and now you're River Valley. And uh, so, hey, I get to preach in what you've done and also what you're doing. It's a joy to be here. I've been in America just over a week, and uh, we've been getting some f crazy meetings happening. I was in upstate New York in uh, Kingston and Hudson, and watching what God was doing there, just as fresh fire is breaking out, amen, in God's house. And uh, it's a joy to be with you. I fly back to England tomorrow. But you know one thing I've always learned about the Lord? He always leaves the best till last. He always leaves. So you haven't got a tired Andy, you've got a fired up Andy. But saying, God, you always leave the best till last, amen. And uh, it's a joy to be with you, to hang out with your pastors, Pastor Matt and Rachel, and to reconnect again with Pastor Wayne and Margaret. It's just joy. And I, I learn so much when I'm with Pastor Matt. He just knows so much about your, your, your city. And I found out this week that it was called Boom City. Oh, some of you didn't know that. Well, you need to talk to your pastor. And uh, I learned all about the login and, and all that kind of stuff. Listen, God's got great plans for this city. God's got great plans for you. Are we ready for God, what God wants to do next? We had just a glorious night last night, didn't we? As we just said, God, give us fresh bread. We're thankful for the bread of yesteryear. We're thankful for the bread of yesterday. But God, we just want to eat fresh bread. We don't want to eat old, day-old, week-old, year-old bread. God, we want the fresh manna that comes down from heaven. But you. So I'll bring you greetings from family church and from my family in the United Kingdom. We're one family, both sides of the ocean. Amen. God's only got one family. And uh, I love having the opportunity to come and minister to other parts of his family. And I want to talk today a message that I believe is prophetic for you and prophetic for us. <clears throat> it's not a well-finished message. It's a journey I'm on. And I just really felt recently that God wanted me to be in, including people in this journey. And I've been on this journey for a few weeks now, a couple of months now, and I love where it's going. And I thought, okay, we're just going to talk about this and let some people jump on in. And uh, do we know right now that, that we're in a moment? We're in a God moment right now. We're in a, a very important moment. The Spirit of God is moving in a fresh way on the earth. He's moving in a fresh way. 
and he's not asking permission. He doesn't need anyone to control it. No one owns the rights to this music. You know, no one can own what God is doing. That's why he's pouring out, I believe, in so many young people because they're just crazy and they don't realize you've got to do this and you've got to market it. And you, They just don't know. They just want God. And I'm like, do it, Lord. And my prayer is, God, let some of the revival know-it-alls. Let them just stay on the sidelines, amen. Let the apostles stand in the background supporting and praying, but let God move like he wants to move, amen. I really believe this is a powerful moment, and I would call this not just a powerful moment, but a kairos moment. Because when you look at the word time, it has two Latin expressions. When you look at the word time in the Latin it normally uses one of two words. It'll use chronos or kairos. Now, chronos is sequential. It's logistic. It's logical. It's moments. It's calendar dates. It's <clears throat> three o'clock on Thursday. It's, it's three o'clock on Thursday, April the 2nd. That's chronos. And we live in life <clears throat> by chronos. We operate by chronos. And that's how we make sense of life and time. But there's another word that's used for time, and it's the word kairos. And the word kairos, it's not logical, sequential. It's not Wednesday turns into Thursday. It's the perfect, opportune moment for something to happen. I really believe with my whole heart we find ourselves in a Kairos moment where God is doing something he always intended to do. You see, God is a God of moments. He designs moments. We're haphazard. We make it up as we go along. And sometimes we think God is like us, that he's in heaven saying, I don't know, what should we do next? I don't know, should we turn up at Ashbury? What do you reckon? What should we do? God, you see, is not haphazard. He's a God of purpose and design. God is a God of pre-designed moments long before the people in the moments are even born. God's not making it up as he's going along. He's being true to the Kronos of the Kairos of his plan. That's why I want to speak into your hearts today. This isn't just another day. This is a Kairos moment. We need to be awake and ready for God to do what he said he's going to do. We have examples of this throughout the Bible. We speak of Noah. Everybody knows the story of Noah, the man that built the ark. But you know that some theologians, they're always arguing, aren't they, theologians? Some say it took 50 years Others say 75, and you speak to another bunch of theologians, say, so no, it was 100, and others say it was 125. Let's just not get into pointless arguments. It was a long time, however you look at it. But you see, the moment that God spoke to Noah to build an ark, he said, it's going to rain. Yet the rain didn't come, for argument's sake, for 100 years. But the moment that God spoke to Noah and said it's going to rain, he had a moment in the future, a Kairos moment in the future, that no one could stop where the rain would come down and the earth would be flooded. You see, when you see Joseph, a boy in the field that hasn't got the sense to know who to talk to and who not to, he's just a boy. 
God speaks into Joseph and says, you're going to be a prime minister of a nation that saves a land from famine. And Joseph must have thought, next week, next month, Kronos. But suddenly a journey began that took him through a pit of betrayal and into a prison cell for, they estimate, 14 years. That's a long sentence to serve when God has spoken to you that you're going to be prime minister and save a nation. But you see, Joseph never quit and never gave up heart because he knew that the Lord had spoken to him of a moment. He didn't know when the moment was, but he knew there was a Kairos moment, a moment of divine opportunity where everything that God had said he would do, he would do. I don't know if it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. This isn't about Kronos, it's about Kairos. All of a sudden, Joseph hears the prison door open and he says, it's time. And you see, when God takes a lot of time getting something ready. When it's ready, he doesn't take long at all. That morning, Joseph left the prison sailor prisoner, and by the end of the day, he was prime minister. <laughs> you see, when a Kairos moment comes, there isn't time to ask, do I want to be involved? When we read about Jesus, we read that it says of Jesus that he came in the fullness of time. That doesn't mean that God had a calendar in heaven and he looked to the month of December the 25th, as we celebrate it. But rather he said, okay, what I'm doing on the earth now is ready for the manifestation of my saviour, my son, Jesus Christ. And in the fullness of time, Christ was born. He wasn't born according to Kronos, he was born according to God's intended moment. My friends, soberly I say to you, I believe we are in a Kairos moment. I don't know if this is the moment before the coming of Jesus Christ, but something is happening. And we can't stay asleep, as it was said so well. It's amazing when you see Jesus on the earth. <clears throat> he was conscious of his Kairos moments. And a few people were managed to twist his arm. One of them was his mother. <laughs> He's at the wedding. He didn't go to the wedding to do miracles. And his mum comes to him and she says, They've run out of wine, Jesus. And Jesus turns to her and he says, why are you bothering me with this, mum? Woman, it's not my time. He wasn't speaking about three o'clock, four o'clock, Wednesday, Thursday. He says, it's not that moment yet, mum. But mum, you ain't going to let me get away with this, so come on, let's get this done for mum. Other times, the disciples said to him, we're going to the festival, are you coming with us? He said, no, it's your time now, my time hasn't yet come. But the funny thing is, after they'd gone, he sneaked there too and began to preach on a box. Jesus walked with a consciousness of God moments that he never did anything his father wasn't doing. He wasn't doing anything that his father wasn't telling him to do. He lived true to the moments that were in the heart of God. And because he did, miracles flowed every day. Oh, quick break, somebody's left eyes being healed right now. You've had a, a jabbing pain, uh, a jabbing pain in your left eye. God's healing that right now, okay? So just go ahead, take that miracle right now. You haven't got to do anything, pay anything. Just, just take that miracle. You woke up, you've had this jabbing pain in your left eye. That's healed in Jesus' name right now, okay? Someone else has been walking in a confusion where you felt you were going to faint recently. It's been the last two days. And you felt that you were going to faint. You felt lightheaded. Right now, that lifts off of you in Jesus' name. That comes off of your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when we understand that we're in a moment, we need to get excited that this is a moment that God intended. I believe we're in a moment where God is about 
to do something that changes everything for the church. This isn't a casual moment. This is an important moment. Do you mind if I take my jacket off? I'm getting a little bit warm up here. We haven't got any religious people that are going to be offended or think the anointing's left or anything. We okay? All right. Hey, Benny Hinn used to do that and people used to fall over. No, there we go. I gave it a go, you know. We're in a moment, a God moment, where God is about to add an ingredient to the church that's going to change everything. You see, when I think about the church, I think how beautiful the church is. And it's like we've got so many ingredients in the bowl, but something's not happening like it should be. You speak to any pastor, they'll kind of say the same thing. But the church is awesome. We've learned how to pray. We've learned how to worship. We've learned the Great Commission. We've learned all of these things that make the church for church. But when we look at the church, if we're honest, we all say, something's not happening. Something's missing. Maybe there's an ingredient that God is going to add to the church in this moment that is going to cause everything that the church is to begin to explode and be what he called it to be. I don't know if you've ever baked bread, but traditionally when you bake bread, you use a little ingredient called yeast. And you can have ingredients in the bowl that are good ingredients. You can have flour, you can have oil, you can have sugar, you can have salt. You can have a number of ingredients in the bowl that are all important ingredients, yet when you stir the ingredients, something ain't happening like it should be happening. It's like an ingredient is missing. And then all of a sudden, somebody gets the yeast. The smallest of ingredients. And they add the yeast to the mix that's in the bowl and they stir it in. And suddenly every other ingredient begins to work like it should. It begins a chemical reaction where these ingredients that were good ingredients begin to explode, grow, throb, come alive, rise up. What if we're in a moment where God is about to add an ingredient to the brilliant ingredients in the bowl called his church, that this ingredient will change everything. You say, what do you mean we need another ingredient? Okay, okay, let me be a little bit honest with you. We're in a moment where we've never had better worship. We've never had better musicians. Michael is a beautiful worship leader. we've We've never had a moment where we've had so many instruments, good lighting, good sound. But yet when I look out around the church in our times of worship, I see half of the people worshipping and half of them going. Some can't even be bothered to get here for it. Maybe, maybe we got something missing. Let's look at the Great Commission. We know that Jesus has clearly told us that Our friends and family, if they don't have a chance to hear about Jesus and receive him as Lord, will go to a lost eternity. There's a very real heaven and and there's a really very real hell. And I could speak across congregations and say, do you know that people go to hell? Do you know that people go to heaven or hell if their name's not in the Lamb's book of life? It's an eternal destruction. Yeah, yeah, we know that, Pastor. 
Yet they have no intention of telling their friends and family about a saviour called Jesus. Maybe something's missing. All across the face of a Western church, you have a small percentage of people that queue up to serve what God's doing. While many want to sit and be served. And that limits the potential of what we're able to do. Maybe something's missing. Maybe God's about to add the ingredient that causes everything else in the bowl to come alive in a way that's supernatural. Would you like to know what this ingredient is? Because I think I know what it is. I was praying in a random place in Wales and I think God showed me what the ingredient is. We got good flour in the bowl, we got good water in, we got the oil, we got the salt, we got the sugar. But there's been an ingredient missing from the church that its absence has stopped the church, the people, remember the church isn't the building, it's not a meeting, it's people. But it's stopped the church being who God called her to be. Can I share this ingredient with you? And some of you are going to get offended because it's so simple. Some of you are going to say, I want my money back. You didn't pay anything. <laughs> this ingredient can change everything. <laughs> can I share this ingredient with you? Are you ready? It's the actuality of God. It's when God becomes actual. To a person. What do you mean the actuality of God? You see our problem for too many people that come to church. God is merely a concept. A great concept. But a concept isn't enough. God wants to become actual. In the core of who you are. He wants to become more real. Than you ever thought he could be because serving a concept is different to serving an actual God actually believing that God lives in you changes everything sadly for many people God is no more than a concept a theology an ideology a philosophy any other ology you want to add to the list for many others He's hearsay. People come to church because they heard about him from another, yet they've never actually experienced him for themselves. Many churches are filled with good young people that are in church because their mum and their dad actually believed in God. But if you were to question them and say, how about you? Is he real to you? Then suddenly there would be a silence, an absence of the ingredient that changes everything. You see, the actuality of God determines everything we do. It defines what we truly know, even if we claim to know a lot. Because what a person knows truly 
actually knows is demonstrated in their life. So if we actually believe that God is in our midst when we gather, you would not be able to stop worshipping. We don't need any more musicians, we've got great ones. We don't need any more amplification. We don't need any more instruments. We need the Holy Spirit to blow upon our hearts and take a God from being a concept to being actual, real. That moment you realise your loved ones are going to hell Ain't no rock of embarrassment that can hold you back. Every passivity is broken. I looked at the word actuality in the dictionary because it's an actual word. And it said actuality is the state of something existing in reality. Actuality is the state of something existing in reality. When the Spirit of God blows across the hearts of his people, suddenly God stops being a concept. Hearsay, hand-me-down, theology, religion, and he becomes real to the core. Another dictionary said, actuality is the quality or state of being actual. You know, there were some people that thought about this years ago. There was this guy that was kind of clever called Aristotle. He thought he knew some stuff. Like his mates, Socrates or Socrates, however you want to pronounce his name. But he spoke about something called the theory of realism. And he actually had some sense in his pursuit of realism. And he had something, he said, there's a difference between potentiality and actuality. That was the core of what he was thinking. And he said, potentiality is when everything's in place for something to happen. Actuality is when it happens. As I was reading this, I said, God, you've got to help me with this stuff. This philosopher's trying to blow my mind. And God gave me the picture of a gun. He said, when you cock the hammer, you've got potentiality. Yet nothing has yet occurred. Everything's in position. Everything is primed. You have potentiality. But when you pull the trigger, you move from a moment of potentiality to actuality where things begin to happen. The Spirit of God is blowing across his church, blowing across the hearts of his saints, moving us from potentiality to actuality, moving us from claiming we know things but living contrary to what we say we believe to moments of realism. There's a sound to a move of God. Always there's a sound. You know that, Pastor Wayne. There's always a sound. I'm listening for a sound and I'm hearing it all over the place. Do you know what the sound of what God's doing at the moment is? It's a sound that's happening in the building and in the supermarket. 
It's the sound of people like you and me suddenly falling to their knees. Some that have walked with him for many, many years. It's a sound that says, he's real. He's real. God is real. God is real. Brother, you've been going to church for so many years faithfully. No, 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 no. I don't know what I've been doing, but in this moment, he suddenly becomes so real, so actual. I can't worship him. Don't stop worshiping yet, Michael. Don't stop yet. I don't want, keep singing. He's worthy of worship. I've got to tell someone that Jesus saves. Uh, where's the offering? I need to put something else in there. I don't want God to have 10%. I want him to have everything. Pastor, what, what do you want me to do if we're going to change the city like God wants us to? I don't care what my department is. Just get me busy. Because what we do is the result of what we actually believe. If I saw a man walking on the edge of a cliff, and I was to go to him and say, sir, do you want to die? And he was to say, no. Sir, do you believe that one bad step, you could fall down the cliff and be dead at the bottom? Absolutely. And sir, why are you walking on the edge of the cliff? The problem is there's a deficit between what you claim you believe and know to that which you actually do. The Spirit of God is breathing upon his people with love breath, bringing them from a place where God is a concept or the God of your parents to a moment where he's so real, so real, changes everything you do. You don't need incentives. You don't need titles. You just want to give your life for God. I like the way that Paul put it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 2 in this mystical riddle where he says, let the man who says he knows, let him know he doesn't know as he ought. Maybe us good Pentecostals, because I'm one too, have become really good at claiming to a world that's watching us the things we know. The problem is when the world that's watching us watches us, they suddenly see us living lives. But don't demonstrate the passion that goes alongside the claim of who he is to us. But then the Spirit blows and brings God from concept, theology, ideology, and hearsay into a place of realism and reality in the core of who we are. Turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Some of you are upset because I haven't read the Bible yet. Here we go. This will make you happy, okay? Because we actually see this in Genesis 28. When we look at the life of a man called Jacob, I started reading about Jacob about, eight weeks ago, and I can't stop. I can't stop. Every time I try to get away from Jacob, I get pulled back. And I want to talk about that moment that we know as Bethel. And I want to ask the question to people that love God, 
What actually happened in that moment called Bethel? We know that Jacob was an interesting character. He was a liar, a cheat, an usurper. God never met with him in this moment because he deserved it, because God's a God of grace. Bethel wasn't a moment that Jacob knew was going to happen. He didn't have an appointment with God. He was just being a liar, being a cheat, being an usurper on his way somewhere. But God had a moment. God had an appointed moment where he would meet with Jacob and bring who he was from concept to reality. Who was Jacob? Now, this isn't a trick question. I just want to see if anybody knows. He had a famous father. Who was Jacob's father? Isaac. It's not a trick question. He had a real famous granddad. What was his granddad's name? So Jacob had grown up in a household in a legacy where people really believed in God. Yet for himself, something hadn't yet happened. In many ways, he was believing in God because he'd seen his father do it. He was believing in God because he'd seen his grandfather do it. But God had a Kairos moment where this was going to change. Let me pick up the storyline. He's on his way somewhere and all of a sudden he stops and he says, I'm going to have a rest and he gets a rock and he puts it under his head as a pillow. I don't understand that. I mean, I like a firm pillow, but a rock. I like firm, but a little bit fluffy, you know, not a rock, not a boulder. And he sticks his boulder under his head. God begins to reveal himself to Jacob in a dream. It's what God does to me. God was speaking to me in dreams last night about a situation I'm facing. And I love it because he knows that when I'm awake, I'm just in the way all the time. So he waits till I go to sleep and he says, then I can talk to Andy and he won't keep butting in. <laughs> Maybe Jacob was the same. And he has a dream and you know in this dream, he sees what's termed as Jacob's ladder. In this moment, he sees that moment that Jesus refers to when he speaks to Nathaniel, when he says, don't be surprised I knew where you were. You'll see the heaven open above me and ministry descending up and down because Jesus was the gate of heaven on earth. But in this moment, it's the moment that Jesus was referring to. And in this moment, Jacob's asleep and suddenly in his sleep, he looks and there's this staircase, this ladder. He's at the bottom and God's at the top and there's ministering spirits going up and down between heaven and earth, between humanity and God. And he has this moment and God begins to speak to him. I'm not just the God of your dad. I'm not just the God of your grandfather. Promises are made to your grandfather are going to be promises that are active in your life. This was an epic dream. And then we pick up the storyline in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought to himself, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Surely God was always in this place. And I was living in a condition of unawareness of his presence. He didn't just turn up. 
He was always here. But I was unaware. Verse 17, he says he was afraid. That's that reverent fear. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. The gate of heaven. In this moment, the Lord brought Jacob from knowing him by hearsay, concept, ideology, to an encounter when suddenly God became real to him. God became actual to him. The Holy Spirit added the ingredient of the actuality of God to this man. And when he woke up, he said, I thought this place was just normal. It's not normal, it's awesome. Now when we read Genesis 28, we're talking about physical places on the earth. God don't live in buildings anymore. He lives in people. When God becomes actual in the life of a person, they stop seeing their life as useless. They stop seeing their life as a mistake. They stop seeing their life as broken. And suddenly that which was barren and wasteland becomes awesome! Because they realise Spirit, we need you to breathe upon us and bring a fresh actuality of who God is. That we wouldn't need to be locked into behavior modification to try and discover the true us that's whole. But rather, in one moment, people who had spent years in council, years hurting themselves because of pain, of an underestimation, low self-esteem of who they were, suddenly lift their heads and say, I'm not rubbish, I'm awesome. I've been saved 20 years. Surely the Lord was always here. Problem was I was unaware. Why do I sing songs in church and not worship from the core of who I am? Because I don't actually believe he's in this place. Imagine when the actuality of God begins to blow. And we spend hours in worship and nobody wants it to stop. Oh, that's not crazy, that's normal. Imagine if during worship, bear with me in a little folly, Michael's up here leading the worship and then suddenly you look up, right, and just like a scene from Chosen, right, you look up, right, and Jesus is walking around the back of the stage behind Michael. He's looking at you. I think you would move from that to that. Really quick. He's here. 
Let's stop treating him like he's not in the room. Young men that struggle with things to do with sexuality and porn. When you realize he's here, you will struggle no more. When you realize he's in the room looking through your eyes, you'll have no problem quitting things that shouldn't be. But as long as he's a concept, an ideology, someone we have an appointment with once a week, our lives won't change like he wanted them to. All right, let's bring us into a landing. I'm going to look at John 20. In John 20, there's something that really gives me hope. It speaks about Thomas, also known as Didymus. Now, let's just backtrack a second. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples, right? Thomas walked with Jesus. Thomas heard Jesus say time and time again, they're going to kill me and they're going to bury me, but I won't stay dead. Third day I'll rise again, then I'll ascend. It wasn't a secret. Jesus had spoken to his disciples time and time again. Thomas wasn't out of the room when he spoke. Thomas had heard Jesus say, they're going to kill me. You're going to see me die on a cross. You're going to see them put me in a tomb. But I'm going to rise again. On the third day, the temple they destroyed will be back in position. This is my life. Yet we visit this moment after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is so kind to Thomas. And it says in verse 26, it says, let me go to verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, everyone had too many names in the, in the Gospels, didn't they? Are you Thomas or are you Didymus? You know, what, on Wednesday are you Didymus? Thursday you're Thomas, who are you, you know? Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He did what he said. He rose from the grave. Death, sin couldn't hold him. Now you think he'd be running around the room, upset that he wasn't there when he saw it, but going, woo, my Jesus, he did what he said he was going to do. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, that's kind of gross, isn't it? And put my hand in his side, that's really gross. Unless I put my fingers in the nail prints and my hands in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them this time. The doors were locked. Jesus, that didn't stop Jesus because now he was the risen Jesus. Jesus came through the locked door and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Why did Jesus say, peace be with you? What would you do if somebody walked through the locked door and said, hey, how you doing? Peace be with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Hey, man, how you doing? No, you'd be screaming your face off. Then he says to Thomas, Thomas, would you like to put your fingers here? See my hands? 
Thomas, would you like to reach out your hand and put it into my side? Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord, my God. I bet he did. I don't think he said that politely. He's standing there with Jesus and Jesus has said, still got some unbelief, huh? Concerning the actuality of my resurrection. Still have some unbelief that it's me, Thomas. Go on, you said it, pal. Feel free. Would you, would you like... I don't think that Thomas was like one of these English actors, maybe Hugh Grant or someone, you know. Oh my God. fell on his face in the presence of the actual risen Christ my God I think Thomas did some pretty good stuff didn't he Holy Spirit is moving on the earth don't miss what he's doing Holy Spirit is bringing this God that we've loved with the knowledge of him that we've had to a place of actuality that suddenly everything we are is defined. How we give, how we worship. One moment it all changes. And all that happened was we had our own Bethel. A moment when the God of hearsay became actual and real. No man can make this happen. to be a Holy Spirit only the Holy Spirit can take a God from what he's been and make him more real than he's ever been in your heart that it affects the way you pray the way you worship the way you give but you see that's what Holy Spirit does come on we read about him in Genesis the Trinity God in Genesis Father, Word, Spirit and in Genesis, you see the Lord speak. Let there be. But nothing was. Well, it was, but it was unseen because it was still concept. And then the Holy Spirit steps in and takes what the Father has spoken, the concept of what he said he's going to do, and in a moment, it moves from unseen to seen because the Spirit got his hands on it. Put your hands on us, Holy Spirit. Add the ingredient to the bowl, Holy Spirit. The world is falling apart. It's in chaos. The nations are raging. People are confused and scared. What a wonderful moment. God to move in sovereign power and authority. Look around. It's never been a better moment for an unshakable kingdom, an unchanging Jesus to take his place in the hearts of his people and be the center of the church, not in concept, but in actuality. Arise and shine. Because your light has come. 
and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I believe when I read Isaiah 35, like I said, I believe that's prophetic of this moment. You start reading Isaiah 35, verses 1, it says, there's great barrenness. The desert is dry. There's wastelands. Welcome to 2023. But then suddenly skip a few verses and you end up around 5, 8, and it says, the rivers are flowing, the desert is blossoming like a rose. The blind are seeing, there's the presence of supernatural miracles. The lame are walking and the deaf are hearing. What happened between verses 1 and 2, 5 and 8? He said, go and strengthen the weak hands. Go strengthen the trembling knees. Go get fear and anxiety out of the hearts of my people. What do we use our hands for? A number of things. We use our hands to worship. Maybe somewhere in the last few years you lost your worship. Start using your hands for what they were made. We use our hands to serve others. There's people here today that have served others for years and you're tired. Maybe your knees are trembling because you've stood so long believing for something. Maybe you've watched too much news and not read enough Bible. And the fear and anxiety of this current age has seeped into your heart and is living, causing you to be tormented by a fear God doesn't want you to know. And I believe the Spirit of God's here today to strengthen your hands, strengthen your knees, get fear out of your heart so that you can watch God pour out his Spirit on the earth and turn deserts into streams, into blooming roses, that you can see miracles breaking out and they're happening through your life. They're happening through your hands. I see a lady in the middle of Walmart or or, or, or Wegmans. I I, I see a moment where suddenly God's going to say, I can't wait for Sunday. Anybody want to get busy with me this week? And in Wegmans, there's going to be people, because there's no saints, God's going to do it himself. And a single mother with three kids, wondering how she's going to survive, is going to unashamedly fall to her knees in the produce aisle and say, he's real! Does everybody know he's real? Because the Spirit of God came upon her heart and she couldn't contain it because just like in that moment with Jacob, a God she'd heard about became hers. Holy Spirit. We're ready, Holy Spirit. Flow, Holy Spirit. Michael, would you come up, please, and just begin to play the guitar? Flow, Holy Spirit. I don't know how long I've preached, but you see, when when God's moving, you don't care anymore. Ask anyone that's been in revival. God's moving in English, we always have a nice roast dinner after our church service. And when I'm preaching, I see people going, what about the turkey? In their eyes, what about the turkey? What about the potatoes? When God begins to move, you see a look in their eyes that says, let it burn. Let it burn, I don't care. We'll go to Mackey's on the way home. I don't care, but this place is awesome. 
I don't want to be home eating turkey and potatoes. I want to be where Jesus is moving. Oh, oh, give me another opportunity to worship. Come on, touch me again, Holy Spirit. Light your fire again, Holy Spirit. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Give me a Bethel. Give me a Bethel. Give me a Bethel. Give me a Bethel, Lord. See, Bethel changed the mind of Jacob for another appointment that was coming. A few pages later wrestles with God and won't let him go you see first God becomes real and that changes his mind and he leaves that appointment saying if you're real I want everything you got for me and he meets him and they begin to wrestle imagine wrestling with God and God's trying to get away this guy's a lunatic God's trying to get away and Jacob is hanging on to him. Not until you give me everything you've got for me. God touches his hip and in that moment he never walks the same again. When God touches your life, you never walk the same again. When religion touches your life, you go to sleep. But when God meets you at Bethel, reveals himself, causes you to wrestle for what he's got for you, touches your life, you never walk the same. People begin to say, you've changed. I can't walk the same. What happened? Well, it was like, I stepped out on the freeway and a Mack truck hit me doing 70 miles an hour. How many people know if a Mack truck hit you doing 70 miles an hour, it would change the way you look. It would change the way you talk. Why are you talking funny? I was hit by a Mack truck doing 70 miles. It would change everything. Come on, Holy Spirit! Come touch us. Come on, Holy Spirit. Light a fire here. Light a fresh fire here. You've written, you've lit them in the past. Winnow it. Blow on it again, Holy Spirit. Blow upon River Valley. Light fires it. Have I preached anyone hungry today? Welcome to my journey. This is keeping me up at night. I wake up in the mornings and I just lay hands on myself and I say, Bethel, Jesus, Bethel, Jesus, Bethel, Bethel, Father, become more actual. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, all I can tell you is he's real. And if you will surrender your life to him today, he will become real to you. God doesn't want to be a concept or a habit. The church has even made him a fashion for goodness sake. What more can we do with God? Now it's fashionable to be a worship leader. I mean, when did God become a fashion? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. 
I want you to stand to your feet now. I want you to be bold. I'm not going to say, everyone stand. No, no, you do it. If you really want the real God, you stand to your feet right now if you've never given your life to Jesus. We've made this too easy, and that's why people don't change when they leave the door. If you won't stand for him in the midst of people, you won't live for him outside the building. If you're here today and you've never walked with Jesus or you've lost your walk with God or you feel that you're so far away and today you say, I want to get back to God, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to count to three, then I'm going to move on. If that's you, don't miss the moment of your visitation. One. Is there anyone today? Two. God will meet you in this moment. Everybody a God lover, everybody born again. Three. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? You know you're not where you should be with God. Stand to your feet. Draw a line in the sand. Cross it this morning. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else today? I ain't calling anyone a sinner. I'm saying, do you want to give your life to Jesus in a real, fresh, and significant way? Anybody else? Because I'm going to pray for everyone else in a moment. But I just want to make sure that no one under the sound of my voice leaves without a clear opportunity to surrender their life. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. This is a clear opportunity. You will never be able to hear say you never heard. This is a moment to thank you, sir to surrender your life to a living Jesus. It's four. Anybody else? You've got nothing to lose but pride. And that was never your friend anyway. Five. Thank you, sir. Is there a sixth person? This is a moment where everything can change. I'm going to count it down from five and I'm going to pray for these folk. If you know you should be standing, you jump up to your feet. Thank you, sir. There's six. I'm going to count it down. Don't miss out. Thank you. There's seven. I'm going to count it down. There's eight and there's nine. This isn't about anyone being a sinner. This is about people saying, I surrender. There's number ten. This is about people coming to the foot of the cross, saying, no more games. All or nothing. I'm going to count it down from five. We've got ten people. Is there anybody else? If there is, you go ahead and stand as well as I count it down. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, I thank you for these ten people who have boldly stood to their feet, not caring about those around them because they want you. Holy Spirit, fall upon them. Father, I thank you that as they stand, they testify, I believe in Jesus. I give my life to this risen Jesus. Holy Spirit, baptize them with fire. Jesus, wash them with your blood so that they could be no cleaner. Wash them with your blood and fill them with your spirit.